0: We just want to take a minute and welcome everybody in joining on live stream. Can we just put our hands together and welcome everyone who's not here? Happy you're here. If Daylight Savings Time threw you off and you are still at Bedside Baptist this morning, thank you for tuning in, okay? I find it funny that we're uh, talking about Sabbath and we're talking about rest. It fell on uh, this week of Daylight Savings Time as well. God has a funny way of doing that. But I'm excited because this is um, really closing out um, a section of the commandments. If you're here and you haven't been here in a while, we're in a series called the Ten Gifts. And we're looking at the commandments uh, that were given. And Jesus brings these commandments. One of my favorite stories is with the rich young ruler in the Gospels, where Jesus says, Do this and you shall live. And he brings out six of those commandments. And the rich young ruler couldn't give up his wealth, couldn't give up what was an idol in his life to follow Jesus. And it says he turned away sorrowful because of what Jesus had asked of him. The thing we need to know about the Ten Commandments through looking through the light of the new covenant and looking through the light of Jesus is this, is that the commandments don't save us, but they lead us to the one who does, and that's Jesus Christ. And so this morning, as we look at Sabbath and as we look at rest, I pray that you would see that this is one of the greatest gifts given to you and I, is the, is the gift of rest. And ultimately, we're going to see that how Jesus fulfilled this and how Jesus is our Sabbath and Jesus is our rest and how we're to diligently, is what it talks about in Hebrew four, to seek that rest this morning. If you're taking notes, you can, uh, the title of the message is this, is it's all about rest. The Sabbath is all about rest. That's the principle we see uh, given to us this morning. i want to read the commandment to you found in Exodus 20, verse eight through 11. It's actually the longest commandment that is listed here, uh, but let's see what the scripture has to say. It says this about the Sabbath. It says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. In other words, keep it set apart. Last week, we talked about how uh, God's name is to not be taken in vain, and how it's to be hallowed. So it's, God's name is not to be used as common, but it's to be holy, set apart. Verse 9 says, six days you shall labor and do your work. So it's not telling us that you're to rest or to be lazy. It's saying six days you're to labor. So there's work. the relationship between work and rest is, is to be harmonious and, and to have a rhythm with it. But it says in verse 10, But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days, and here's where it's brought back to the story of creation, it says, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and then he rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, And he hallowed it. Beautiful passage of scripture. And this morning, my goal is for you to see this principle of rest and what that looks like, what it looks like, and how it's found in Christ. And I'm excited because one thing I've found of our culture, the way we work, the way we move, the way we do, is resting doesn't come easily. I don't know about you, but sometimes I find myself sitting at home and having nothing to do, and it's like, how am I gonna, like I could take a nap, I don't wanna be inactive, I wanna do something healthy, productive, but sometimes we struggle with how to rest, and uh, more importantly, we're gonna get into the depth of how we're to find rest for our souls, and that's found in Christ. Proverbs 19:16 says this in regards to the commandments and how they're good for our soul. It says this, it says, he who keeps the commandments keeps his soul. But it says, he who is careless, and this is just a principle of life, he who is careless of his ways will die. So in keeping the commandments and seeing how these gifts relate to our lives, it's uh, rest, it's, it's keeping our soul, it's keeping structure in our lives. But he who is careless, it says, his ways will die. So quickly, I just wanna look at some scripture that points to where Jesus is our Sabbath rest and what that relationship looks like in rest. Revelation 1.10, this is is John giving us this revelation, and it says this. It says, I was in the Spirit, and it says, on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a sound of a trumpet. So what John is saying here is, on the Lord's day, in the New Covenant, in the New Testament, the believers are gathered together, and as he's in a service like this, worshiping God, taking communion, Hearing the proclamation of the word, word on the Lord's day, this is being imparted, this revelation is being imparted into his life. And so I just wanted to bring out where it says, on the Lord's day. Because you'll see throughout scripture where the Lord's day is referenced. And that is Sunday. That's where why we gather today as well. You'll see even as Paul reveals scripture of where there was the proclamation of the word, there was the worship, there was the gathering together, there was fellowship of a meal after church where you see kind of the structure of what gatherings of God's people would look like. And so we see in, in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30, we see where Jesus begins to show us that he is our rest and, and what that looks like. This is a powerful passage of scripture, one of my favorite personally, because this is an invitation like Jesus is inviting you to come to him and find rest. He says this, he says, come to me, all you who labor. Anybody labor in here? You work hard, you love your family. It says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. And it says, I will give you rest. It says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your soul. So here's where we see rest for our soul, that there is a peace, there is a contentment that is available to you and I, and it's only found in Jesus. It says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Another translation of this scripture here, it says, uh, come to me and join in my rest. And it says that rest is a, um, is a, is a rhythm of my grace, is an unforced rhythm of grace. That when you're in rest with Christ, there is a healthy rhythm that is taking place in your life. And this is what Christ desires for us through offering us this rest. There is a a powerful passage of scripture as well where we see how Christ is the rest from the labor of the world, but it just doesn't stop there. Christ is also our satisfaction from the hunger of the world that within us there's this not, there's this wanting to uh, pursue the accolades or the achievements or the job well done that our work brings us which isn't bad but ultimately we can't find our satisfaction in that so this is Jesus' response to that he says and Jesus said to them in John 6:35 he says I am the bread of life he who comes to me Jesus says will never hunger and he who believes in me will never thirst So we see a principle here of rest, but also of contentment that is found only in Jesus. And as he says in Matthew 11, it's this this principle and this discipline of coming to him to find that rest. You know, you coming into the house, into the sanctuary, into the church this morning, you're coming to him to find rest. That coming to church should be as it is a habit of where when you come, you can let down and you can receive the word of God. You can worship That when you gather together with God's people, you should feel uplifted. You should feel encouraged. You examine your soul. You examine what's taking place on the interior of your life and saying, where am I out of balance? Where is there not rest? Where am I overworking? Or maybe where am I too lazy? Because what we need to see and what we'll see that Jesus reveals is that rest does not equal inactivity. Rest doesn't equal idleness. And rest doesn't equal laziness. Many times we confuse that, that if I'm resting, I'm lazy, or if I'm resting, I'm idle, or if I'm resting, there's uh, you know, just that laziness that's with it. We see here where with male, the curse that was given to us in the garden, that God's intention was for labor never to be burdensome. You read the account of creation, you know the story where when Adam walked in the cool, Adam and Eve walked in the cool of day with God. And they didn't have to labor. They were able to be creative and, and name the animals and, and, and build and enjoy and steward what God had given them. But a part of the curse of creation was that male was to toil and to labor from the ground. I want to show you what the scripture says in Genesis 3:17 through 19. It says this after they, Adam and Eve had fallen. It says, he told the man, And I've used this scripture out of context before, and you're gonna see here in a minute. But it says, he told the man, because you listened to your wife, okay? I've used this to my defense sometimes. If I would not have listened to you, I would be okay right now. But it says, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree, that I commanded you not to eat from, don't eat from this tree, it says. The very ground is now cursed because of you, Getting food from the ground will be as painful as having babies is for your wife. So the toil, the labor, the, the sweat, the, the breaking of the back, that, uh, the labor that comes with it is compared to as you know, women having babies and the, and the curse on their side of things. It says you'll be working in pain all your life long. Anybody over 50 that has some back pain, you've done some labor in your life, you can identify with this. It says, the ground will sprout thorns and weeds. You'll get your food the hard way, planting and tilling and harvesting, sweating in the fields from dawn to dusk until you return to that ground yourself, dead and buried. You started out as dirt and you'll end up as dirt. A lot of hope there for us, isn't there? (laughs) And so in essence, it's saying man has to sweat and toil. What we see here and what we're gonna begin to see through the Sabbath is by being under this curse. And what I want you to see through the fourth commandment is many times what we've talked about in the series, when we see the law given or we see the commandments, we shun it because we're like, that's law, that's burdensome, that's heavy. But what we see through the giving of the Sabbath is actually the grace of God because rest is given to God's people. If you understand the context of what this commandment was given in, we would know that uh, God's people, Israel, were in slavery for 430 years before they were rescued and entered into the promised land. And while they were in slavery, what does a slave do? They never get a day off. base All they do is work. So their identity was work, work, work. And so... By God instituting Sabbath and instituting rest, it was a sign of his grace, and it was a sign of you're no longer a slave anymore. You are free, and what I'm gonna institute is the Sabbath where you have this rest and you can enjoy. And it's just like we see in the commandment. When God created heaven and earth, when he created, it says that he then took a seventh day, he took back, and it says that he reflected. He just, God just didn't, he rested, but in his rest, He examined and he reflected and he said what he saw was good and he was happy with it. And so what we see through this is we see through the Sabbath, we see God's original intention and it was a day of rest and communion with God. That's how Adam and Eve walked with him. It was restful. They were in communion with him. There was a a closeness. But then we also see for you and I is that it's a foretaste of the true rest to come in Jesus Christ that is available to you and I. And I want this to be revelation to you this morning because if you're striving to be transformed on your own power or your own will or your own good, you might get a taste of it, but it's never gonna be something that's sustaining and something that's lasting. When you're empowered by grace, there's a rest that comes with that as you're walking in what God is doing and what his word is declared. Colossians 2, 16 through 17 says this, talking about how our substance is in Christ. It says, so let no one judge you in food or drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come. But the substance is of Christ. So it's saying when you see the commandment of the Sabbath, it is a foretaste of what's going to be in you, which is the substance, which is in Christ. So we're seeing that the Sabbath is, Uh, The scriptures reveal Old and New Testament that the fulfillment of that, the accomplishment of that is in Christ and how we can have rest because he's put himself through the Holy Spirit within us to give us that peace and that contentment. Hebrews 9, 4 through 11 speaks of this too. It says, there remains therefore a rest. Everybody say rest. Rest for the people of God. It says, for he who has entered his rest has himself also seized from his works as God did from his. It says, let us therefore be diligent. And so we're gonna see a paradox here begin to take place. Let us therefore be diligent. So we see there's some work in being diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. And so what we see taking place here is God is beginning to show us that our work to enter into rest, that there is this uh, invitation that we saw in Matthew 11, right, that we're to come to him, that if we're going to find the rest that we long for, many of us, and I've done it in times in my life where I've gone to things that I thought would bring me peace, bring me rest, we're told uh, things we should buy, things we should wear, things we should do, this will make you feel a certain way, But we know the after effects of that, after the excitement of it or after uh, it's fulfilled its course, it kind of leaves you dry. But there's something that is everlasting, something that is eternal, rest that is offered to you and I. There's a great commentary here that speaks of the Sabbath and this foretelling of Christ fulfilling this. He says, God ordained the honoring of the Sabbath, the months and the festivals, not because he wanted these days to be honored by men as days, for that would be serving the creature more than the creator. We talked about that in our second week of not serving idols and not serving, when we serve idols, it's serving the creation and not the creator. It says, implying that days are naturally worthy of honor and therefore of worship themselves. It says, however, through the ordinance of honor, the days he symbolically ordained the honoring of himself. For he himself is the Sabbath the source of rest from the cares and labors of life. He is the savior, the liberator of those held in the bitter servitude of sin. See, sin has a way of making you serve whatever sin is in your life. It has a way, we talked about in the second week, to get you on your knees and bow to it because it wants to be served. It wants you to take the bait. And so we see that it says he is the Pentecost. He is the beginning and the end of all. It is noteworthy that Jesus chose to perform many of his miracles. And here's where it gets interesting because you see in the context of when Jesus talks about rest and he talks about the Sabbath, it's the righteous Pharisee had issues with him doing miracles and healing people on the Sabbath day. So here's where it begins to talk to this. He says... It's noteworthy that Jesus chose to perform many of his miracles on Saturday, which was the day set aside as a day of rest and for contemplation of God. So in our rest, we see that what you're partaking of right now is you're contemplating God. You're uh, evaluating, as we said, your life. And you're saying, "Where where where is his priority in my life? Is there things out of balance? It says, when Jesus was condemned for repeatedly healing on this day, he made it clear that God's day was not to be wasted in idleness, but used for active celebrating, and here's what we're doing today. Used for active celebrating by gathering to pray, doing good deeds, and for strengthening our souls. Anybody's soul ever strengthened when you're here at church and you walk out the doors, there's a strengthening and a stability that gets deposited into your life. It says, um, it says doing good deeds and for strengthening our souls. Sunday, the day of the resurrection, is not a day to spend sitting around at home, mesmerized on our phones, on TV. It says it's a day to go to church to pray and to re I love this word and to reinvigorate our lives. That's why I love that Sunday is the first day of every week. So when you gather together, you're preparing your week today. You're being reinvigorated for what you're gonna have to put your hands to when you leave here. It says Sunday is intended to be an active commemoration of the Lord, that we're participating in what God has done through the resurrection, that the Lord's Day is known as Lord's Day because we celebrate that death was arrested and that Jesus is alive, that he is alive today in our midst, that he gives us the Holy Spirit. He gives us gifts to to take authority over the enemy and take authority over the works of the devil that we see in our lives, the interior of our lives, and the things around us. So I find this interesting, when you see Jesus rest, Jesus entered his rest at his passion, that God did his greatest work in the passion of the Christ. When Christ carried the cross, when he was crucified, and his last statement on the cross was, it is finished. So when he declared the words, it is finished, that is when Christ entered his rest. Well, I began to study and I began to look into what did Christ do when he was in the place of rest? Was he just idle? Was he nowhere to be seen, nowhere to be heard? Well, scripture speaks to what Christ did in his rest, and this speaks to what you and I are to do in our rest. Look what 1 Peter 3.18 says. It says, For Christ also died for for our sins once and for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death, In the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Here's where we see the work of Christ. It says, in which he went and he preached to the spirits in prison. So on the Sabbath, on rest, that Saturday, when Jesus lay in the tomb, he ascended into what the church calls the harrowing of Hades or the harrowing of those in hell. Those that haven't had a chance to hear the gospel and see what Jesus, the work that he's done. And so it says, Jesus went and preached to those spirits that were in prison. Who formerly did not obey. Verse 4 6 says that, for this is why the gospel was preached even to the dead, that though judged in the flesh like men, they might live in the Spirit of God. So we see Jesus is active in his rest, just as he is today. Jesus is resting at the right hand of the Father, but through the Holy Spirit, he is very active in our lives. He is moving, doing, comforting. He's our paraclete. He's working as our helper. He's empowering us. He's speaking to us. He's making his word come alive to us. That that's what being in a place of rest looks like. And so we, again, we don't see Jesus was idle. He was inactive. He was lazy. But in his rest, he was working. And that's what we see in the gospels when you go and read the accounts of Jesus confronting the Pharisee on the Sabbath or the Pharisee confronting Jesus is that, he tells the story that if one of your sheep were to fall and break a leg in a ditch, am I to leave that sheep until the next day when Sabbath is over? And the Pharisee said, well, of course not. So Jesus says that uh, he begins to institute what mercy looks like and how uh, Jesus has mercy for us. And mercy always triumphs over uh, legalism, mercy always triumphs over ritualistic observance. Mercy is the heart of what God is and he's given us great mercy and it's found only in Jesus. So the paradox we see of what we read in Hebrews is this. It's to struggle, we have to struggle daily to rest eternally. To struggle daily to rest eternally. So what does that look like? The vices in our life, when our flesh wants to rise up, our broken emotions we have to struggle against those to enter and to rest. And it's only in Jesus that he gives us the way to control our tongue, to not respond in anger. That that is what our struggle in this life looks like. That when we go to bed after a long day and we wake up and look in the mirror, we should see ourselves looking more like Christ each and every day. Sometimes we may feel we take a step back, but the good thing is that grace always has a way of sweeping in and showing us that grace does not condemn you or keep you bound or keep you down, but what does grace do? When you're down, it lifts a hand to you and pulls you up and cleans you off and dusts you off and say, get up and go at it again. I got you, I'm with you, I'm empowering you. And so struggling daily to rest eternally is this. It's actively working and discerning to embrace the presence of God in your life. It's actively working and discerning to embrace the presence of God. A great quote, Kenny, if you throw it up is this, as it speaks of this rest, it says rest has little to do with the absence of conflict or pain. Many times we think if I can just get away from the pain, the conflict, the disaster, the storm in my life, then I can finally rest. If I can just get under a palm tree, things will magically just get better. But we know that Jesus says, take heart, I've overcome the world, right? That you can have peace and rest in the midst of your conflict and pain. So it says, rest has little to do with the absence of conflict and pain. Real Christian rest is a rest in God in the midst of intense daily struggle. So we know that there is a rest promised to you and I in the middle of our struggle. And so what does this look like? It's observing our reactions. When you look at your reactions, when you look at the way that you respond, is it that of your flesh? Is it that of anger? Or are we responding compassion and in mercy? Toward one another. That's the place God wants to get us is truly loving our enemies, not cursing those who curse us, but learning how to really love them. That is the journey we are all on to love those that just uh, uh, poke us and and try to get us to react and try to get us to respond. And so, a powerful way, and I want to get into this in a minute, is the way that we're to judge ourselves, that we're not to judge others, but there is a healthy, dose of where we judge ourselves, we judge our intentions, we judge the different things in our life. But I found this video, and it speaks of a way that we're robbed of our rest, just practically speaking, is that in the world and the culture we live in today, there's so many screens and phones and things to pull your attention. That many times when Bree and I are resting, there is a screen in front of us, or there's just noise where there's something powerful when you can sit in silence or you can just sit and contemplate God or you can begin to just pray. But there, in the world we live in today, we have to be very practical to shut the noise out because we can, I've found that I can be in a quiet place even, but what's going on up here is so much noise that I can't shut out what's going here. So there has to be this practice to find rest even in your, your thinking process, your psyche, your mind of how to get to a place of contemplating God and of finding rest in your spirit and in your mind. But this is a great video. Denzel Washington is going to drop some truth bombs on us and get us just to look at a way of how we treat our devices. Uh, So I think we'll be challenged by it. It's a couple minutes. Let's check it out, and then we'll talk about it. to understand, are you using your device or is your device using you? Can you put it down? Can you turn it off? If you don't read the newspaper, you're uninformed. If you do read it, you're misinformed. what do you do? That's a great question. What is the long-term effect of too much information? One of the effects is the need to be first, not even to be true anymore. So what a responsibility you all have To to tell the truth, not just to be first, but to tell the truth. We live in a society now where it's just first. Who cares? Get it out there. We don't care who it hurts. We don't care who we destroy. We don't care if it's true. Just say it. Sell it. My biggest concern is, uh, is the unfettered access to, to social media and cell phones, quite frankly, because there's a biology to these things that are as addictive as alcohol, nicotine, and gambling. Right now, a family is out to dinner at a restaurant, not enjoying each other's company, but each staring into the screen of their choice, completely ignoring the family members. And this is mom, dad, and the children, all doing the same thing while they continue to eat. They did it the entire meal. Right now, an infant is getting their first iPhone and learning to tap and swipe all while drooling on it. 92% of two-year-olds play video games because that is what parents are putting in front of their precious children to keep them entertained and quiet. This is your life now. No natural behavior. Everybody's wearing clothes they don't want to wear. Everybody's showing up and doing something they don't want to do, they have no connection to. That's the problem with our society. And then what's the reward for all this stuff? Go home, get a big TV. Go home, you're going to get a shiny belt buckle. You're going to get a nice purse. You're going to wear shoes that you couldn't afford last week. You're going to get that dream car. And every week we're chasing down this new object. And every week we're trying to fill this hole. We now know that many of the major social media companies hire individuals called attention engineers who borrow principles from Las Vegas casino gambling, among other places, to try to make these products as addictive as possible. In South Korea, internet addiction is classified along with alcohol, cigarettes, and gambling as an addiction. You know, it's about balance. It's not that they're inherently bad. and It's not that texting or social media is inherently bad but it's when it gets out of balance. Um, If somebody carries their phone wherever they go, like they they physically feel anxiety if they they put it down, Um, when they're with their friends and have to have it up the entire time looking at the phone while they're with their friends, you know, when they wake up in the morning and check their phone before they say good morning to the person sleeping next to them, these are problems, this is out of balance. I'm not knocking the phone. What I'm saying is we have to understand, we have to at least ask ourselves, Around the world, you, here in England, wherever you are, what is it doing to us? I don't know, it definitely challenged me. But one thing that really grabbed my attention was that our culture institutes attention-getters. And the algorithms, the way socials are designed to grab your attention and to pull you in and to get you to buy their product. You know, that's the world we live in is it's always trying to grab your attention, trying to sell you something. And so the practice again of rest and the discipline of rest and just shutting things out and turning the noise off out of your life and the world we live in today has to be a discipline and a practice we implement into our lives because that's where we find rest, because there's something of feeling like you're in a week after week, do you feel like you're just going and going and it's the hamster wheel syndrome and, and you're never really resetting yourself. See, Sunday's when we come together, because just like we talked about the name of God, that his name is not to be common, that there should be a time of honoring God that just breaks and worshiping God that just breaks the routine. Where you get into a place of where, okay, when I walk into church, it's different. It's, it's not my home. It's not my workplace. That this is a place set aside specifically to worship and honor God. And so in our rest of what we're gonna see in Scripture, especially what Paul reveals, is there should be this testing, this examining, this judging of ourselves. And I pray you are evaluating if you look at uh, your life on a 24-hour day of how are you stewarding your time, and I pray that as you're judging yourself, and as you're looking inwardly, that you can begin to get some revelation this morning. But this is how we're to judge ourselves. Kenny, if you would put up the slide, is simply this: three things that came to mind is we judge our heart, which involves our emotions; it involves our motives we judge our words, it's the things we say. Jesus is very clear that on the day of judgment, if we're unrepentive, that we're to give account for every idle word, every idle thing that leaves our mouth. And then we're to judge our works. Now these are um, three things that I've recently implemented into my life of sitting back. This is part of struggling daily to rest eternally that if you take a step back, you judge your heart, you judge your words, and you judge your works, that many times we have a bad context of judgment because when we see judgment, we say, hey, don't judge me or someone's getting up in my business and judging me for something I'm doing. If we can begin to stop pointing the finger and being the critic of everything else everyone's doing, but we can turn the light of God's word on us and say, how am I walking in this? How is this applying to my motives and to my heart, how is this applying to my words and how is this applying to the works, the things I do on a daily basis? Then you'll begin to see this is how we begin to be transformed from the inside out. It's powerful when you can begin to really judge yourself because we all know that at the end of our lives there's going to be a judgment seat for the things we say, the motives and the works we've done. And so in uh, light of mercy that God has given us, that if we judge ourselves, then maybe we won't be judged for what we've done because we've judged ourselves now and we've repented of the things that we've done. And so Jesus speaks extensively of this and there's a conversation Jesus has with the Pharisees again. And uh, the Pharisee, he's judging the motives and the intentions of the heart and that's where we see Jesus with an exclamation point when you go and read it. He says, you brood of vipers. He calls the Pharisee a brood of vipers, basically, you who are doing Satan's work. And this is a Pharisee, one who keeps the law, one who is righteous. And so I, myself, when I was reading this, I don't want to be accounted for a brood of vipers because of the things that were coming from my heart, my words, and my works. So to struggle daily, we have to struggle daily to rest eternally. You know, when we look at our works, our works are the fruits that come from our lives. Pastor Joyce in our renewal night talked about the fig tree that was cursed at the root and how what is the fruit of our lives? What, when you take a step back and you contemplate your life or you examine yourself and you're looking at your works, what are the fruit of what you're doing? What's the fruit of what's coming out of your mouth? What's the fruit of your motives? What's the fruit of your works that were to judge a tree, us, our tree, by its fruit? So when you're judging yourself, saying, what is the fruit coming off my life? Is it honoring God or is it dishonoring God? And so I pray that this is the sermon of my life every day, that I'm doing these things and I'm actively asking these questions. I'm gonna leave you with the scripture and brief, if you come. It says this, 2 Corinthians 13, 5, and this is where we get this principle of judging. Paul says loud and clear as he's ending his letter to the church in Corinth. He says, examine yourself as to whether you are in the faith. So you're judging, you're examining yourself. And he says again, test yourself. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? So it's saying, why are you doing these things when you're a temple of God? You're a, Christ is in you. The Holy Spirit is within you. It says, unless indeed you are disqualified. So we see that there's this principle of examining ourselves that the enemy wants to rob you from the rest, from the satisfaction that is given to you through Jesus Christ. He wants to not only rob you in the present day, but he wants to rob your soul from ever entering into heavenly rest when your body lays down for its ultimate rest. And so in this life today, in our world today, we have to examine ourselves. Are we operating, are our works, are our motives, are our words lining up to what we see Jesus reveal? and then it's to test ourselves in it. One of the best ways I test myself, sometimes I'll have uh, time with Brie, my wife, and say, hey, did I hurt you this week? Did I love you this week? Were there things I said that maybe I didn't know, but I was poking you and maybe stirring something in you? So it's kind of having tough conversation with those closest to you, like, hey, what do you see? Are you, do you feel the wrong motive here? Is there something you're getting from the works I'm doing, maybe out of my ignorance, of having people help you judge yourself that you trust and that you see. And so again, my prayer is, is that when you see that Jesus is our Sabbath rest, that he has fulfilled this, that if you're feeling stirred or you're always on edge emotionally, you're always edge because of an insecurity, that you would begin to take the invitation of Jesus where it says, come to me, all you who are heavy laden. And it's a promise here. He says, I will give you This rest, and he's not calling you again into a laziness, or he's not calling you into an idleness, but is an an active participation in saying, "How am I embracing the presence of God in my life?" And so this morning, I want to pray with you, and Kenny, I want you to put that uh, points back up on the screen. I just want to take a few minutes here while we're in the silence. Bree, if you would just kind of play for us, and I want to take a moment where we practice resting in Christ. So just take a moment between you and God, close your eyes, and just ask the Holy Spirit, how, how am I to judge my heart this morning? How am I to judge my words? Or how am I judging the works in my life? And I believe with his presence here this morning, if you allow him to poke, let him give him access into your life, he'll bring things to the surface of our motives, of our words, or of our works, that this is the struggle we're to participate in daily so that we can enter into the rest that Christ has promised us. Jesus, right now, as we practice, as we struggle, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would bring things to the surface, that we would examine our tree and what fruit are we bearing, what idle words are leaving our mouth, that aren't advancing the kingdom of God, that aren't bringing honor to Christ. God, I pray that you even teach us to guard our tongue as it speaks of in the book of James, that the tongue is a powerful rudder for our lives, that words have power of life or words can cause death. God, teach us to harness our tongue. Teach us to be silent before we speak, to examine what words are coming out of our mouth. God, in our works as we look throughout the works that we're going to do today, our jobs, our careers, what we're gonna put our hands to, how are we loving our spouses, how are we loving our families, our children? God, I pray that we would examine those works and anything that isn't lining up with the word of God, you're so gracefully convict us and then teach us of what love looks like. Holy Spirit, we give you access to our motives, our heart. God, let us not be like a Pharisee where we think we're doing everything by the T, but what's inside of us is disgusting. The motives are wrong. The motives are missing the point of it. Maybe we lack in showing mercy. God, let us walk in the compassion and the mercy and the love that you've shown us. Let us walk in forgiveness and everything and with everyone We don't want to build a barrier and a fence around our life, Father. God, we want to struggle daily to enter into this rest. I pray that we would take this and we would contemplate in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen. Well, I pray this just wouldn't be a message this morning, but you would take this into that chair time, into your quiet time. And you would ask yourself these three questions on a daily basis. You would examine those parts of your life because the gospel just doesn't leave us empty-handed. The gospel transforms everything about us. It transforms all those areas of our life. So again, when we look in the mirror, we see more of Jesus and not more of Garrett on a daily basis, that he loves us that much, that he gives us the power through the Holy Spirit to become more like Christ. And so this morning, I want to share uh, some things with you in regards to giving. We've been having a, a powerful class on the legacy.